Ben. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, not bad. How about yourself? Busy, lacking a little bit of sleep, but making up for it in coffee, which is normal for this stage of a transfer window. Yeah, I bet. Um, a little bit more crazy than I think anybody expected uh, in the last 24 hours or so uh, with uh, what's been going on with the Chelsea, Liverpool, Brighton, Caicedo, Willie, won't he, everything in between saga. Um, let's just get straight down to it because I know you've only got 20 odd minutes here. What's what's the current state as of right now from your end as to what you understand is going on? going on well let's, see. well let's see if anything moves in the next few hours because we've been dealing in kind of midnights and late night twists which is normal i suppose when you put a deadline on like brighton did of midnight last night for these bids but the situation as of now is that there's one club that has an agreement with brighton and that's liverpool for 111 million and there's a sell-on clause on top of that as well so you could actually predict that that deal is worth even more and then you have Chelsea who finally reached the 100 million mark with their bid but do not have an agreement with Brighton however the complicating factor in all of this is now Caicedo who clearly doesn't think he's going to be at Brighton or play for Brighton again and from London has intimated that Chelsea is the preference so now we have a very interesting situation because Brighton want it resolved, but they're going to stick to their valuation. Chelsea are likely to come back with a formal bid and Liverpool are the ones that are sort of the stalking horse at this stage because they've met the valuation, they've provided the yardstick, but Caicedo hasn't travelled up to do a medical. Now, Liverpool sources are adamant that nothing specific today was booked in. So... We have to understand what the next move is for Chelsea. The good news for Chelsea is that seemingly Brighton are prepared to entertain more offers as opposed to say we don't respect the fact that maybe you didn't treat our deadline as final. And I think that is just the transfer window all over. The deadlines were always going to be soft. So now the next step is essentially what are Chelsea doing in terms of gathering a package that is going to get this one over the line. Because as soon as they agree a deal with Brighton, Moises Caicedo is only going to one club, and that's Chelsea. And the clue in all of this is probably Tyler Adams, where Chelsea had triggered the release clause. They'd had him down at Cobham going through the medical process, and then they've pulled out based upon what is being described as talks breaking down. But I think that if you look through that language, it's obvious that... Chelsea are just going to put those projected funds towards their overall bid for Moises Caicedo. So if you take that as a clue, it's perhaps the first step in Chelsea getting their ducks in order. And now we have to wait for the formal offer. I think we'll have a situation where if Chelsea match or better the Liverpool offer, I would be very surprised if Liverpool come back with their own counter, which means that we're now just waiting for Chelsea. The ball is in their court. And as long as they are respectful of Brighton's timescale and within the transfer window, I think that the next offer from Chelsea will be the final offer. And if it matches Brighton's expectations, then Moises Caicedo will get the move that he wants. Yeah, you, you have to assume, right, that we're going to be having that offer come through pretty quickly. Uh, with the way this, the, everything has gone so far, um, I feel like we would be in a bit more of a dodgy situation now if Chelsea sit on this for a week or two because they 
you know, if if Moises has said he's the only one, do you do you happen to know if there's any truth to the idea that uh, we are well, or rather, Moises is still happy to move to Liverpool if Chelsea are not able to match that bid? Is there any truth to that? I've seen a couple of people throw that around, but they aren't uh, super reliable sources, so to speak. So I'm curious if you've heard anything to that effect. Well, it's common sense, isn't it? We saw it with Mikhailo Mudrik that you may have a preference, you may push for that preference and you may try and be as firm as possible because that's part of the tactics. But obviously, if Moises Caicedo is forced to choose only between Liverpool, the only club that have actually had an offer accepted, or going back to Brighton because perhaps Chelsea intimate that they can't strike a deal. I'm not saying that's a likely scenario, but if that is the scenario that develops where it's Liverpool or Brighton, then I think Moises Caicedo would be very badly advised to be saying he doesn't want the move to Liverpool, considering that they're a big club, European football. His former Brighton teammate Alexis McAllister is there, so there's chemistry. Jurgen Klopp is a very man-management-focused type of coach who could get the best out of a young player. And if Liverpool, who have had a historical interest in Moises Caicedo even before he joined Brighton can't convince Caicedo that Liverpool is the best option if it's the only option on the table. I think they would be very disappointed. So I would take Caicedo only wants Chelsea with a little bit of a pinch of salt at this point, not because it isn't true. The player has a clear preference. He's had Chelsea on his mind for the whole of the window and the build up to the summer as well. And he's spoken to some senior Chelsea players and he thought that they would be the only club in the race. He wants to move to London. So it is absolutely true that Moises Caicedo wants Chelsea. But should we be saying we'll only move to Chelsea? And I think that's two slightly different points, because if you're Caicedo now, that is what you intimate to try and force this through, because you know that Chelsea are still active and focused and trying to get it done. But if we were to get to a scenario where it was only Liverpool or only Brighton, then I think it's going to be very difficult for Moises Caicedo to walk back into Brighton. I think he would have to then pick Liverpool, not because of any disrespect to Brighton, but more just because the way this has dragged out the pre-season that he's lacked because of how it's dragged out, the fact that he skipped the Viacano friendly and then went to London, the fact that Deserby has said that Caicedo is not his problem anymore. If Caicedo is integrated somehow and relatively miraculously, I think now in terms of the likelihood of probability back into the Brighton side, it would be reasonably difficult. And we've seen with Deserbi, he's a brilliant manager. He inspires confidence in his players. And in January, I suppose, they were able to build those bridges. And Brighton handled that Caicedo situation really well. But in terms of this summer, it's a little bit different. And I wonder whether it would end up being more that kind of tension we saw with Rob Sanchez after he fell out or Leandro Trassard after he fell out. And the end result is ultimately both of those players moving. So I think that this is the intrigue of the current negotiation. Brighton know how urgently and desperately Chelsea want Caicedo. And they've got a British transfer record bid from Liverpool. So it's been handled perfectly from Brighton. They've negotiated it exactly how they wanted it to pan out, financially speaking. And as a consequence, when you talk about time, Brighton can say, we can make you sweat on this potentially. Brighton can say, we're going to squeeze even more out of you. And that is why they have done everything in their power to maximise this deal should it happen. And that's the case, whether it's Liverpool or Chelsea. And from Chelsea's point of view, they'll be playing on the fact that 
Brighton have got a Caicedo who's in limbo at the moment. And does the player's position allow Chelsea to get this one done a bit quicker and a bit smoother? So again, in answer to your question, I wouldn't say that Caicedo has said, I'm never, ever joining Liverpool. It's a complete and categorical rejection. And the bid that you've put on the table simply cannot be turned into a move under any circumstances. I think what Caicedo has said is more that Chelsea is my preference. I'm waiting for Chelsea. I'm joining Chelsea if they get an agreement. And then he will deal with what if they don't get an agreement, if that scenario emerges later down the line. Ben, it's, it's Adam here. Thanks for joining us. Um, what's, what's, what are Chelsea playing at, I suppose? Because you came on the, the podcast back in January, right? I think pretty much after Arsenal had bid for Caicedo and then since obviously moved on. They've had all this time to stump up the cash for Caicedo. And there's never been a situation where Brighton have ever kind of misled. It's always been, we'll, we'll sell him when we get a value we're happy with. Now, why have they now waited to the last possible second? Liverpool have come in. They were given this midnight auction deadline. They were the second bet, the second highest bid. And still now, they're going to go way above and beyond what they could have got this guy for probably even two weeks ago. This is the same thing that happened to them with the Mudrick deal. They came in and, and, and sort of gazumped Arsenal in the same fashion after Arsenal messed around with, with, with Shakhtar. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is why have they done it this way? And is this is this on the part of Caicedo? Is this the agents? Is this, this Saudi money is pushing this because Liverpool have now got this big cash injection? Why, why have they gone about it in this fashion? Yeah, it's a great question. I think when you look at it in hindsight, it is very easy to just only look at the number, not the structure, not the tactics, not the circumstances, only the number, and say, surely Chelsea for the best part of two months have been regularly and directly in a room with Brighton and Chelsea have sat down and this is probably the fan perspective and gone, hello, we'd like Moises Caicedo and Brighton have gone, meet the valuation and Chelsea have gone, here's 60 million and Brighton have said, that's not the valuation. And then even though they haven't quoted necessarily an explicit price, it's been out there for quite some time that that valuation is around from Brighton's perspective, the 100 million mark. And they sit down again and Chelsea say, here's 70, here's 80. And finally, they hit the 100, but Liverpool were able to hijack and come in even higher. So it does look mismanaged for sure. But there is always the bluff of negotiation. There's always a tactical element from both sides. So Chelsea came in lower because they felt like they were the only suitor. They had a player that wanted to leave and that gave them an advantage. And they also came in lower because they were using some of the January valuations to argue, even with a new contract, that Moises Caicedo would ultimately be there or thereabouts based upon what was offered in January, both by Arsenal, which was the higher offer, and Chelsea. And this is where the 70 plus 10, 80 million package, somewhere around that, came from. And I don't think that Chelsea were naive. I think they genuinely thought that that was a initial number if they were the only suitor and had a player that wanted to leave that might create success. But Brighton are Brighton and they've handled the negotiation perfectly. And not only have they handled it perfectly, but of course, in hindsight, it looks like the so-called price tag of around 100 million was genuine. So then as soon as you get another suitor coming in, 100 million can become 111 million because you've got a bidding war. So it's played out perfectly for Brighton. I think that 
from Chelsea's point of view, they also weren't only looking at the number, they were looking at the structure of the deal. And the higher the number, perhaps the less gettable the add-ons become, or maybe the payment terms are more preferable to the buying club than the selling club. So these are all factors as well. I've said this many times with Wesley Fofana, another Chelsea example, for many weeks, it was not for sale. Then it was a world record bid for a defender. And eventually, Chelsea were able to get Wesley Fofana for something in the region of 68 million, which is well below that world record fee for a defender. And the reason for that is because Fafana drove the move, because Leicester needed the money. So sometimes I think a negotiation can just be two sides feeling like they're not the ones bluffing. But Chelsea have walked straight into classic Brighton. They've never had an explicit number. They've always been told they're miles below the valuation. They've taken too much time to open the door to Liverpool. And Brighton have been able to take everything in their stride because for many weeks during this negotiation, perhaps not now, but for many weeks during this negotiation, Brighton have simply said, he signed a new deal and he's our player. And if he ends up our player at the end of the window, then we'll be delighted with that because he's a star midfielder And on top of that, he'll help us in our first ever season in Europe. And it's a fantastic achievement for Brighton. So why wouldn't you want Caicedo as part of that? But as the window's gone on, I think the player's been a bit firmer behind the scenes that he wants to leave. So again, it changes the dynamic and Chelsea maybe stay a bit lower because they once again think that with Caicedo, Brighton are going to have to go down. But I think where Chelsea have made a bit of an error here is that they've dealt with Brighton before. So Kukurea should have shown them a lesson. And the other thing is that Chelsea have gone lower because they're trying to rein back and protect their position in the market. Otherwise, they become the club that always goes up and up and up. And that's even the danger here for future deals. You look at Enzo Fernandez; they eventually paid what it takes. You look at Mark Kukurea and Manchester City were not even prepared to pay 40 million. And Chelsea, I think, ended up paying a total package of 63 million. So if you get this reputation in the market of always overpaying, then of course you're bullish. It's exciting. You get a lot of business. But the next deal you do and the next deal you do, people say, that's Chelsea. There's a Chelsea tax. We'll get the number that we want out of them. And I think Brighton have played that in order to get this world record fee. Of course, the Declan Rice number, the British transfer record of Enzo Fernandez as well, help because the market's moving in that direction. But you've got to give Brighton credit in all of this because in the same way, I think that West Ham played the Rice negotiations very shrewdly and were able to offset two suitors to get Arsenal to go big. I think that in the end, Brighton, whoever buys Moises Caicedo, have got at least 10 million more and maybe 15 to 20 million more than they would have anticipated if Chelsea had just come in earlier with 95 or 100 million and paid the so-called or alleged asking price. Well, if only Chelsea happened to have someone that has experience with Brighton transfers on their side, like, you know, someone like a Paul Wynn Stanley, maybe they wouldn't have fallen into this trap. But yeah, there we go. Well, I think um, on is- Wynn Stanley, <laughs> just briefly on Wynn Stanley, I think that Chelsea fans are a little bit worried about his negotiation tactics. And remember, the role that he had at Brighton is not the same as the role that he's got at Chelsea. Well, right. Are these rumours true? I don't mean to cut you off, Ben. Are the rumours true that he's been sort of removed from these negotiations now and it's mainly Bowley and and, and Bedag-Bali leading the charge here? I wouldn't call it removed. I think that Chelsea are always going to build their recruitment team as collaborative. But what we've seen is a switch 
in the last few weeks and months towards the sporting directors, Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynn Stanley, who are both highly rated, but the difference between the two is that Stewart's perfect for the multi-club model. Stewart's perfect for young talent along with Joe Shields. And Stewart has a lot of experience working with a very hands-on boss, effectively, in Paul Mitchell when he was at Monaco. So he's quite comfortable in these negotiations and with the talent spotting. And with Paul Winstanley, he's got lots of potential. He's highly rated and liked, but he's stepped up. And in stepping up, he's maybe been across some negotiations that he wasn't used to in terms of light for light when he was at Brighton. One example of that is when he took over the Mason Mount contract extension talks in January and the Mount camp argue that the rug was pulled under from Mount and it went from a long-term deal to a short-term deal. It went from a series of promises to a completely different deal. And maybe when Stanley's just acting on behalf of his owners, you would expect that in a collaborative transfer model. So I'm not going to come on here and be critical of anybody in the job that they do. But I think that the Chelsea model is, regardless of whether it's Win Stanley, Stuart Shields or anyone else, for Bowley and Egg Barley to swoop in. And also Jose Feliciano, who's very underreported, but another very important figure from Clear Lake Capital. The Chelsea way is for those three to swoop in when it's about money and finances and the nitty gritty of the negotiation has been done and Liverpool have set the yardstick now. So I think it would be normal for the owners to get involved and get their hands dirty because that is just the hands-on nature of the football club. So I don't think we can say that Winstanley has been subbed out. That would be speculation. But what's clear is that Chelsea's owners are taking the accountability on them personally now to make sure that they're across every second and every minute of this to try and get it over the line. Uh, question on on the on the evolution of this because in just recent kind of the last hour or two we've seen conversations around the fact that firstly Chelsea couldn't afford 111 million pounds due to financial fair play. Um, and secondly, they're therefore looking at introducing players to that deal. Um, we've seen Conor Gallagher's name thrown around a few times. Uh, we've seen a couple of other players, Chalabar, I think, a few times. And then, of course, the obvious elephant in the room, Levi Colwell, um, who's just signed, I believe, a seven-year deal with with Chelsea. Um, what you know, if you're if you're talking about players that may well be thrown into that deal, do you have you heard anything to this effect? Do you think that that may be the case? And and any kind of other names you want to throw out there, other than the kind of the Conor Gallagher tapping, because uh, I, I don't think that's going to be something that we would probably end up going forward with. No, I don't think that they'll move for Conor Gallagher. There again has been historical interest to at least look at the player, but I was told at that time when they explored Gallagher, which was quite some time ago, they were put off by the wages. You could argue to some extent with European football, you can change your model slightly. But when I spoke to Paul Barber on record for CBS, he was clear that if Brighton made Europe, this was a few months before the end of the season, they wouldn't change their model because what if you don't get Europe the following season, then you're left with higher earners and maybe larger spend. And that isn't the Brighton way. They have to stay sustainable. So the model is only going to change and the wage bill is only going to go up significantly if Brighton get European football season after season to the point where they can budget for it. So it always sounds really pessimistic and it isn't just Brighton. It's probably three quarters of the Premier League that are not 
absolutely guaranteed either Champions League football or European football. They're setting a football aim that's quite lofty. I would have thought that Brighton would love to get into European football again as a goal and certainly a top half finish regardless. And that may be then factored in in terms of bonuses that they pay to the players and things like that. But in terms of your financial goal, which is based upon income and prize money and other things, it's really, really pessimistic. And I remember Paul saying to me in that interview that, believe it or not, Brighton are not even budgeting from a purely financial point of view. So there's nothing to do with football. They're not even budgeting season on season to finish 10th. It's really, really pessimistic because they need to make sure that they don't over project and then that income doesn't come in. So Gallagher, I think, is quite problematic, even if they did want him. I'm not aware uh, of anything being spoken about for him. I think Levi Colwell is impossible. And maybe it's easy to say that in hindsight. We know that Brighton tried as part of the Caicedo talks a little bit earlier over the course of the summer. And now it just depends what interpretation you want to put on that. If you read Colwell's comments, he's clear that it was never in doubt. If you speak to Pochettino, he says he's one of the best centre-backs in England. It was never in doubt. But we also saw before that deal was signed, Levi Colwell not necessarily looking too comfortable when Noni Madweke, after he won the under-21 Euros, said, I'm bringing him back to Chelsea. Maybe there was a point before the pathways at Chelsea was determined where Colwell, if Brighton really pushed, might have at least thought about it. We'll never really know because all the words now are going to be about Colwell and commitment and Chelsea and he'll start against Liverpool. So he's not in the mix. Gallagher's not in the mix either. And I think that somebody like Amanda Broya is coming back from injury. Again, Brighton may have looked in terms of previous windows, especially last summer before Broya signed his long-term deal at Chelsea. West Ham were the club that were actually bidding, but there were a few Premier League clubs looking and with him, he ended up signing a new deal. And now Christopher and Kunku's injured. I think that Chelsea won't entertain anything for Broya unless they bring in a new striker first. So nothing really in that either. With Chalibur, he's available on the market. That's absolutely true. And with Colwell going, maybe Brighton would still like to bring in one more as far as quite a versatile centre-back is concerned. The Chelsea valuation, though, on Chalibur is very high. They will look at Maguire fee, even though they're slightly different profiles and ages, and they'll ask for more than that. And some say as high as 40, 45 million in terms of valuation for that player might be a little bit ambitious, but it's probably going to be more than the 30 million as far as Maguire is concerned. So we'll have to wait and see. I think in the end, Bowley's pushed these kind of swap deals for quite some time, and we saw this in his first window. But the reality is that all Chelsea have to do is effectively match the Liverpool deal. So Brighton may turn around and say, that doesn't mean players. That doesn't mean match it in terms of valuation. That means match it in terms of structure. So Brighton would be well within their rights to say, don't offer us players we don't want. Offer us the same amount or more money than Liverpool. And then we'll talk to you. So even if Chelsea wanted to do it that way, because it was easier for them to offload a player and reduce the actual cash part of the deal... Without the Brighton buy-in, and Brighton have still got all of the control, it may be just as simple as the fact that they've got to go from 100 million to at least 111 million, and it has to stay a very simple cash-only deal. Ben, let's let's talk about that, the specifics around that, right? Because obviously, I think the last 24 hours has been, well, even for chaotic transfer, it's been extremely chaotic. 
But as of what was this about 1:30 a.m. last night, we had David Ornstein come out and, and obviously say that here Liverpool have come in with the British transfer record 110 million, and and I'm quoting here personal terms of formality. So, what what damage to Brighton, Bloom, Barber, Weir do here if they do entertain this this additional Chelsea bid? outside of the parameters that were set last night, get all bids in by midnight and we'll accept the highest offer. What does that do to the club's reputation? Because you can't imagine the Liverpool hierarchy would be particularly happy about that that situation unfolding, especially if it ends up being, a, as you sort of said there, and I know you were throwing out a hypothetical, it becomes 111. Suddenly Brighton have done a fair bit of damage to their reputation over, over a million, sort of been bossed around by a player and his questionable agents. Surely they can just stand pat and just say, you know what? No, Chelsea, you missed out. Like unless you come in with something ridiculous, let's say 120, which arguably they're not going to do, we're going to stand our ground. We, we 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 created this situation. We got what we wanted. We accepted an offer, and that's that. I mean, final offers are never usually final. So I think the cleverness in the auction is that it appears to bring things urgently to a climax, and then lo and behold, there's a few extra days and a few extra possibilities and as a result of that you would expect as long as the window's open and Caicedo hasn't committed to any club that there will always be the potential to bid again I compare it to bizarrely I suppose in some ways the Manchester United takeover there was an April the 28th final deadline but since then Qatar have placed two more bids and I think it's normal you also have to understand it from Liverpool's perspective as well and if they fail I'm sure we will hear this from Liverpool. It might be a rewriting of the narrative. We'll never really know. But Liverpool will probably argue that because Chelsea had done all the legwork, because Chelsea had had all of the talks, they were always likely to come in and have to go big and make a sort of statement bid. And they were also always expecting perhaps Chelsea to respond to that even after the deadline. And if we then go back to Romeo Lavia and Liverpool's pursuit, Liverpool have said for many, many weeks, not just when Chelsea placed a £48 million bid, even in the weeks before that, Liverpool sources have been intimating left, right and centre that Chelsea have been disrupting, Chelsea have been all over this. So if Liverpool fail, they may say that they decided to try and bait, but they knew all along that Chelsea might come in and ultimately top their own bid. But if that is what happens, then Liverpool, not only Brighton, but Liverpool are contributing to Chelsea having to pay a lot more money than they liked as well. And that's where the sort of games of the window come in. Because if Liverpool succeed, they'll say, we found the money, we valued Caicedo, we needed the midfielder, we had preferable payment terms from the Saudi deals that allowed us to pay a bit more. And Caicedo always wanted us. So we got it done swiftly and quickly in contrast to Chelsea. And if they fail, they may say that they stuck their oar in to almost give Chelsea a taste of their own medicine. And now Chelsea have had to pay more than they would have liked. And that might impact other targets that might ward Chelsea off going for Caicedo and Lavia. So there's all kinds of rewriting depending on who wins and who loses, which is why I think that we have to take the deadline with a pinch of salt. And from Brighton's point of view, when they set that auction deadline, it was clear that they want to sell to the highest bidder. So if you want to sell to the highest bidder and then a higher bidder comes in 24, 48 hours later and you say, sorry, the deadline's closed, I think that that would be counterproductive from Brighton's point of view because I don't think this deadline was anything other than a soft deadline. And I also think that if Brighton refuse a higher offer from Chelsea, 
then they could be left in a very awkward position because Moises Caicedo is going to turn around if he knows Chelsea have bettered Liverpool's offer and Brighton say, sorry, the deadline's passed. He's going to turn around and throw all manner of toys out the pram. And I just don't think that will suit anybody. Yeah, heaven forbid he would have to go and join, uh, you know, a small club like Liverpool and play with his old old teammate that he was in a double pivot with last year. I mean, it's not like we're talking about he either goes to join Chelsea or, with all due respect, you know, he's going to join Luton Town. Like this is this is a storied club in in Liverpool, so it seems sort of weird that he would he would push his agenda so heavily for for Chelsea. But there there has to be stuff going on on the inside there. I do want to quickly just talk though about sort of potential other players involved here because uh, Tyler Adams was another one that Chelsea were obviously at the medical stage with has the release clause because of Leeds's relegation at about twenty million pounds. They've since now pulled out of that deal over the last twelve hours. Now, I think you tweeted out about an hour ago around how the the Tyler Adams to Brighton conversation, there wasn't much to it. But we've now sort of heard conflicting things from elsewhere that there is something to that and Brighton are interested. What what more do you know around the Adams situation? Yeah, I think it's been downplayed by Brighton sources specifically. So that is worth pointing out. But we have to wait and see because if there is to have been and it's speculative at this point, any kind of indication to Brighton that Chelsea would have signed Adams and then have decided not to, to open up the door, then the clubs can't and won't want to admit that because it's highly atypical and it's not really fair on Adams either unless he was consulted and knew that this was the ploy. And going to the Adams camp a few hours back, it doesn't seem like that. The Adams camp were extremely disappointed that they've been dragged out of Leeds and gone through a process that included a medical only to not sign. So quite clearly this morning, nobody sat with the Adams camp and sort of said, what about Brighton? We're prepared to back away. They'll come in for you. Don't worry. You'll still have Premier League football. And I think that even if that is what transpires, again, you could never sort of openly admit that because it would be Chelsea and Brighton Uh, effectively joint approaching Leeds United, which is slightly ridiculous. If Brighton want Adams, regardless of what Chelsea do, they can go and trigger a release clause for 20 million. And if Adams wants to join, he'll join. So it shouldn't really have anything to do with Chelsea. But if for any reason it is linked to Caicedo, you probably would expect most of those involved to distance themselves from it just because the optics of that type of discussion don't look good. And Chelsea also want it out there in the market that when they get a player, they're invested in the player. They don't want it out there in the market that they might string a player along and then abandon that player. They don't want it out there in the market that there might be a player they bring in who's only a kind of backup. So I think optics are very important here. But I can only tell you what I'm hearing from the Brighton side as well, which is they're downplaying the links with Adams. I appreciate that other people are saying there's been some contact. So we'll have to wait and see. Adams has always been out there as a possibility in terms of somebody that Brighton could bring in, which means that they've either ruled it out and that's why it's being downplayed, or now they're going to be choosing to reconsider it. So I think contact is normal in terms of exploring the situation, but I don't have anything particularly concrete at this stage to say that Brighton are going to move imminently And we'll have to wait and see. If they do move imminently, then I think that it will be an indication that Chelsea have chosen to abandon Adams 
to sort of either make financial space or to be cordial and allow Brighton somehow an opportunity to step in. But it just seems quite atypical and bizarre to me because, again, if you're the player and you learn that Chelsea want you, Chelsea say do a medical, then Chelsea say talks have broken down, which is kind of the official line from sources, and then suddenly the doors open and within hours Brighton come in, it looks very suspect. And I'm not sure that Adams will appreciate being a pawn in the Moises Caicedo saga. And I don't think that Brighton do their business that way either. Again, if they want Adams, then they will go to Leeds directly in their own time and on their own timescale and work out whether they want to pay the release clause, explore a loan deal or find a different structure. I don't think they need Chelsea to do them a courtesy, to be perfectly honest with you. And again, to reiterate, when I went to those close to the Adams camp a few hours back, they were really unhappy with the situation and how it's transpired at Chelsea. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, Tyler Adams is a player that's been kind of bandied around a lot <laughs> uh, in recent weeks for just about every top half Premier League side uh, as a, a player that could improve them. Um, just my like final question really for you, Ben, is we're now at half past five UK time on a Friday uh, obviously cognizant that the Premier League season starts in just a little bit over two hours. Um, and obviously Chelsea and Liverpool, ironically enough, play each other on Sunday. Uh, do you think after today, just gut feeling wise and just what you're hearing, the, the rumblings you're hearing, do you think this kind of gets put on the back burner until Monday uh, after today? Or do you think that we may well see this rumble alongside the beginning of the Premier League kicking off this weekend? I think that last night there was a real urgency on the Chelsea end. But the thing about this morning is that Chelsea went to Caicedo and asked him to wait. And when they got back from Caicedo, that he was the kind of player that was willing to be patient and ultimately nailed his colours to the Chelsea move, if you like. Uh, I think Chelsea became a little bit calmer about the situation. So priority number one this morning was effectively to stop Caicedo saying, I'm on my way to Liverpool. And that has seemingly been done at this stage. Then priority number two will be to work out exactly what the offer is. And I think that's where Brighton will want to again do things on their terms and their time scale. So as long as Chelsea get indication that Brighton are prepared to accept a bid past this sort of soft auction deadline then there might be a little bit less urgency. I still think that Chelsea want to make sure that they can mop this up and get this done as quick as possible, again because of the optics, again because of the drama. But let's see whether Brighton are in as big a rush as Chelsea or whether they say, we are going to put a spanner in the works. The Chelsea plan as well with Caicedo, just to be clear, hasn't been framed around the Liverpool game. Even if they signed him right now, even if we get a development in the next few hours and there's a lot of movement, it's very, very fast moving. So things are going to change this evening and tomorrow, I would have thought. But even if Chelsea signed Caicedo, even if they registered in time for the Liverpool game, I'm not sure that they necessarily are thinking about playing so much as unveiling. You have the option to play, but remember, Moises Caicedo came back to pre-season later there was this whole saga over his head. He didn't play that many games. He then didn't play against Viacano because of a very, 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 very minor hamstring strain, if you ask Brighton. And obviously the players' side 
are clear that he was never injured in the slightest. And then he's gone off to London. So if Chelsea get the player today, is he ready for Premier League football? Is his head in the right place? Is his fitness in the right place? Is his form in the right place? I'm not so sure. So I think that when Chelsea see that, and they probably won't know categorically until if they succeed, the same for Liverpool, they get him in training. But if you look at it from the outside, then I don't think the player's ready to be starting a Premier League game in a couple of days' time. And I don't think that Chelsea... Uh, adamant that that's what they want. There's a bit of added spice, of course. If you can bring him on or involve him against Liverpool, then there's a sort of one-upmanship. But that's probably more for the fan base and social media than how Liverpool or Chelsea, depending on who's successful, are thinking about the situation. So I think Chelsea's plan when they were looking at Sunday was more what they did with Mikhailo Mudrik, where they unveiled him at half-time during the game. Chelsea wanted to parade a top summer target. And now we know if they're successful, uh, a British record transfer. And that is the sort of, again, PR and the showmanship that they would be looking for if they can get it done for the first home game of the season. But actually playing him, I'm sure Brighton fans will agree, is probably quite risky because he hasn't had a stable or sustained pre-season. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And at this stage, it's not. It's also not a plug-and-play, right? You can't just throw a player like Moises Caicedo into a team uh, last last minute and hope he gets on with it. Uh, it's not like kind of throwing a goalkeeper in when you've signed one. Um, I think I think we've also reached a deadline, right? I think it's 12 o'clock on a Friday. They have to be registered by as well, which is I uh, wonder if that was why there was such an urgency towards the move uh, last night. Yeah, I'm not sure about the deadline because there's conflicting reports and information. I was actually of the understanding that it's 24 hours before the game. So some say Friday, and that would definitely be for a Saturday game. But remember, Chelsea play on Sunday. So maybe they afford themselves a little bit more time. But either way, I don't think that they are worried about registration deadlines as far as a Premier League game. It's one game in a 38-game league season. What they're worried about is getting midfielders in. Because what Chelsea have done is had a big clear out and that clear out has been contingent on signing not only young and talented players, but ones that can be dropped straight in. And some of the other Chelsea signings so far have been loaned out, will be loaned out or may take a little bit of time. Whereas when you look at the type of player that they haven't got yet, but they might get, not just in this position, but more broadly, when you look at Caicedo, when you look at Adams, even though it's fallen through, when you look at Olise, when you look at a Brighton and Chelsea target in Kudos, these are more players that if they come in, you expect to play this season, you expect them to have an impact this season, you expect them to be people for the present and for the future. And that type of player, Chelsea have really lacked so far. And this is why now they've put themselves in a position where although they've brought in good income, particularly the Havertz fee to Arsenal, Chelsea needs some incomings now that are not just names and people for the future, but are actually players that you feel like will be in and around that starting eleven and add to the quality of the side to get them back challenging for Champions League football. And it's still lacking in midfield. It's still lacking in finding a sort of Mason Mount replacement. It's still lacking in resolving the situation of Lukaku and working out whether they need another striker. So, yes, they've brought in De Sassi and that's 
because of the Wesley Fofana injury. And Rob Sanchez is a good signing for Chelsea because they've got two strong goalkeepers now. We'll have to wait and see whether Kepa stays and goes. But that's definitely a player that falls into the category of improving Chelsea. And with Edouard Mendy leaving, they needed to make a move for Rob Sanchez. But midfield was the buzzword for Chelsea. And they failed at the moment to bring in that flagship midfielder. And then in terms of an attacking midfielder or a creative-minded player, you've got a variety that have gone out the door, which is great for the squad size. But they have to find a bit of quality now. For every two that go out, you want maybe one that comes in. And if Pulisic goes, for example, Ziyech could still go, Lukaku could still go, Aubameyang has already gone, Mount has obviously gone to Manchester United. And then when you look at Kante going to Saudi Arabia, Jorginho in January going to Arsenal, Kovacic going to Manchester City, Chelsea have lost that starting eleven experience, leadership and a bit of proven Premier League quality. And this is why I think that eventually, with Caicedo specifically, we will see them hit whatever number they have to to get the deal over the line because there's urgency now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, from the Chelsea side, you know, obviously time is of the essence. And from the Brighton side, I think I speak for everybody that we're hoping just to get this deal done at this point. <laughs> um, you know, Deserby has already noted that he's forgot about Moises. Um, and I think with, with all honesty, the, the Albion have been planning for this from the beginning of preseason. We've, we've not been, uh, or what rather we have been rather tinkering around with that midfield too. And I think it's been pretty clear from the outset that uh, Deserby has been, planning very very much in advance that he's not going to be a part of the team this year um so at least you know when we come up against Luton tomorrow uh we shouldn't be running into anything that's unexpected um Ben thank you so much for your time um we've already taken way more than you said you were going to give us so I really appreciate that um to everybody else listening uh, I apologize that we couldn't get any more of you on as speakers. Um, you actually, I think you've just destroyed our space uh, because you all joined so quickly. So it's had a bit of a meltdown uh, outside <laughs> of myself and Ben. Um, so appreciate your time, Ben, um, and everybody else. We will be running more spaces in the future. We'd love to have you on and give your say and have a word about all this craziness, I'm sure, as it will continue rumbling on. Um, and we will be back as a podcast on Sunday. I'm sure we will, we will be covering about the next 800 developments that have happened between then and now. Uh, and Ben, I, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. All right. Yeah. And good luck to Brighton for the new season. I, I think it's a shame for Chelsea Liverpool that Caicedo Chelsea versus Liverpool has overshadowed Chelsea versus Liverpool. But it's also a shame for Brighton that outside of Brighton circles, it's being billed as somehow... Brighton are difficult, Brighton are causing problems, Brighton are just negotiating for a high value asset. And much like with Declan Rice, even if those buying don't like it and are frustrated by it, even if the player doesn't like it, if Brighton get the price they're looking for, then Brighton have done their job. It's the same for the Glazers. If the Glazers get the price they're looking for for Manchester United, it might irritate people, including the suitors, but they've done their job. And I think the shame for Brighton is that if we take this away, this saga, they are heading into the first European season in their history with confidence with a top, top manager and a bunch of talent, regardless of who they bring in from last season. So I think I'm quite excited to see how Brighton grow and develop and good luck to the club for the rest of the season because it is a good club. I was out with Brighton during the pre-season tour in America, Fulham, Villa, Brighton, Newcastle, Chelsea were all on the same coast and 
everyone you deal with at Brighton, whether that's Paul Barber speaking to me on record at CBS during a window, which is very rare for somebody of his job title, or whether that is Paul, who runs the media team, who's always open to lining things up for journalists, who's always welcoming you down to the training ground and matches. It's a great club. And I think we mustn't get sucked into this Brighton are the villains. They're not. They've just got a high value asset. They are effectively resigned to selling that asset, at least now. And they're trying to get as much money as they can. That won't please Chelsea fans in the slightest. That won't please Liverpool fans in the slightest. But I hope that the saga um, doesn't disrupt or overshadow the season from Roberto De Zerbi's perspective, because it is going to be an exciting calendar year and season ahead for Brighton. Yeah, I think the beauty of it all is we play such entertaining football and Deserby as a manager is such an entertaining human <laughs> uh, that this won't this won't last long in the memory, I think. Come uh, come that first European night, I suspect things, uh, you know, Moises Caicedo will be very much in the rear view mirror. Um, but yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself, honestly. Um, so I think that's where we'll wrap. Thank you all for coming in and listening. Uh, thank you, Ben. We'll speak again soon, I'm sure, with all this craziness going on. And uh, have a great first weekend of the Premier League, everybody.